All right, everyone, welcome back in. It's another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. It's yours truly, Wobby, here to talk about a lot of stuff, everyone. Coming off of that Vikings victory over the Atlanta Falcons, a lot of people probably went into that game hoping for the best, thinking the Vikings could maybe squeak this thing out with Jaron Hall. Watch what happens to Jaron Hall, immediately get dejected, but then stick with it, and their hopes slowly and continuously build up again, thinking they can win that game, but then you're like, I'm a Vikings fan, how are we going to lose this game? That's for sure what's going to happen, ready to get your heart ripped out, but it was the antithesis of what normally happens to Vikings fans, and they wind up winning the game, and now they have another contest coming up that... They have a really good shot to win. So we have a lot to get to today on the Wobcast 2.0, and we're excited to bring it to you to help me break all of it down, reacting to the win over the Falcons and previewing the upcoming contest against the Saints is my usual partner in crime. It's Giles. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Hey, hey. Happy Tuesday. One step closer to the best day of the week. Monday's yes, almost here. Uh, victory Monday, hopefully, uh, coming up next week. But my, oh, my, what a wild win against the Falcons. That maybe has been one of the wildest games I've ever seen. And yeah. uh, I, although my heart was palpitating the whole time throughout the game, I think it really shows how much of a good team the Vikings truly are. I mean, yeah. when you're down to essentially your fourth string quarterback, depending on how you measure it, and you're still able to squeak out a win, albeit against the Falcons, I think that really shows the resiliency of the dudes that you have in the locker room. Let's, Yeah, I think you're right. Giles, and you make a good point right off the bat. Let's um, let's qualify the conversation and get get a disclaimer out of the way at the very start of it. Let let's just talk at, strictly Atlanta for thirty seconds, so that mm-hmm. we don't have to mention this anymore, or yeah. it's an elephant in the room that you know we addressed. Atlanta, that's an embarrassment for Atlanta in that mm-hmm. situation. They also were playing with a backup quarterback, but in some respects. They probably have a better chance with Heineke than they do with Ritter, given Ritter's inexperience and Heineke's experience and his ability to run that offense. For Atlanta to lose that game, particularly at home, given that the Vikings quarterback who prepared all week to start was knocked out early on and that the quarterback who replaced him didn't even know the names of the players with whom he was playing. I mean, that is, uh, you know, whatever. But Mm -hmm. And I'll let you speak on that too if you want, Giles. But after you do that, then I think – it's appropriate to really give a lot of credit and credence to the Vikings and their effort and how they were able to win that game. Yeah, hundred percent. I think uh, you do need to, to shed equal uh, promotion to both KOC and to Dobbs considering that. Cause I think uh, they're, they're clearly a very important tandem there and you can't have one without the other. And I think yeah. clearly KOC built not only a cultural environment, but a kind of a headset environment for Dobbs to really go to work. Um, I mean, it was talked about how he was just literally pointing at, at numbers and going for it, right? Like yeah. <laughs> not knowing the full names of people is absolutely incredible. And I think it really shows how much uh, KOC was able to translate for Dobbs, uh, considering what his former system was. I would have loved to have been in that headset and understanding how KOC was hap- happening. I don't I, I'm picturing KOC telling one of his assistants to quick run off and print off a different uh, uh, playbook that he thought the Cardinals were running so he could literally translate yeah. French to Spanish. Uh, yes. But that was, that was a fascinating spectacle on Sunday. Yeah, so I, you know, if you remember when Jared Goff was with the Rams, there was a lot of speculation and criticism about how Sean McVay would handle Jared Goff. 
how he would do you remember this okay yeah mm-hmm. how he would mm-hmm. call the play and then yep. give Goff the cues like watch for this and then that mm-hmm. and I think Cooks will be open here and Higby yep. over there yeah so yep now it, it was sort of deemed a little less accept much much more unacceptable for McVeigh to do that to Goff than it was for O'Connell to do that to Dobbs because mm-hmm. Goff was a high draft pick. He had been in the system. He was the anticipated starter, <clears throat> and you he shouldn't need those hints and tips at this stage of his career. So it was sort of looked down upon in that mm-hmm. context. But we're looking at it at a, in a much different through a much different prism in this case, and. Ben Lieber actually tweeted this after the game. It was something to the effect of, I've never been more convinced after what I saw today. This coaching staff is championship caliber. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I, I tend to agree with Ben on that, that what what you saw from a leadership, from an improvisation standpoint from Kevin O'Connell and his staff was, was upper, upper tier, upper mm-hmm. echelon. I mean, that yep. was advanced. And they're only in their second year together, Giles. And so for Kevin O'Connell to be able to pull that off, I mean, it really was the quintessential, like, he, like Kevin O'Connell was like playing Madden. I mean, he mm-hmm. was like, it was like user controlled, yep. basically. That was as close to like a human video game as you can get because O'Connell was literally pulling the strings for Dobbs up until yep. the communication got cut off. Yeah, a true masterclass in coaching when it comes to moving the ball down the field, 100%. I think uh, he has now put himself in an accelerated position to win coach of the year if this performance continues because, my oh my, that's phenomenal. Now, I will say, I do think he was able to elevate even further maybe than what was normal going into that game considering that he was preparing all week with Jaron Hall, who is already a mobile quarterback. I think had it been Kirk Cousins going down and then putting in Hob, uh, Dobbs, I think maybe that would have been a little less of a fluid transition because yeah. you maybe go into that week with a different game plan versus when you're planning for mobility, it translates a little bit more easily, but not to say that doesn't take anything away from either either player yeah. or coach. Yeah. Last uh Last point here on sort of the Dobbs O'Connell thing for me, and then um, you can fire away at anything we haven't gotten to yet. Um, I'll be curious to see how PFF graded Dobbs, Giles, because you can't really do anything but give Dobbs credit for what happened. I mean, he was 20 of 30 for 158. So 20 of 30 is very good. Um, Mm -hmm. 158 is not so good, right? Um, Two touchdowns and no picks. That's very, very good. Mm -hmm. There weren't a lot of explosive plays in the passing game. He had a couple of fumbles, but he had a couple of scrambles that were key, including one on fourth down. He had 66 yards rushing and a touchdown on the ground. So there's just a lot of like give and take and up and down and peak and trough with Dobbs. So I'm Mm -hmm. curious what PFF will say about that from an analytical standpoint and a grade standpoint. And we'll get to our PFF guesses uh, here in a minute. Uh, but yep. I'll be curious to see that. And I really don't want to do anything except give Dobbs credit for the way he played and how he did it against Atlanta. Now, it needs to be much more traditional, structured, and typical this week against the Saints, right? Because he's got a week to prepare, to no names, to no plays. They're going to have, you know, the playbook is, you know, whatever thick, right? It's it's this oh, yeah. thick, right? Okay, yep. so each each game, though, the play you have this much of the playbook at your disposal, right? Um, mm-hmm. So 
you could in theory call a play in the playbook that's not in the plan, but your team has practiced a subsection of the playbook. Well, with Dobbs this week against the Saints, it's a subsection of a subsection, right? Because he can only learn so much in, yep. in a week, okay? so yep. But it still needs to look and feel more structured. It can't be 100% you know, improvisation like it was mm-hmm. against Atlanta. Um, so, cause now, you know, new Orleans has time to prepare for this. They have time to shut the spigot off in some areas, right? Um, mm-hmm. they're most certainly going to have some element of a spy on Dobbs to limit that mobility. So there's just going to be some governors up here for Dobbs, uh, that weren't up for the Falcons because of the surprise nature of Dobbs playing. Um, yep. but with all that being said, nothing but credit to Dobbs for the way he played. I mean, it was, it was gutsy. It was, you know, it just it reeks of a guy who he's not a polished passer, but he's an athlete. And if you mm-hmm. talk to anyone who really knows and loves college football, if you talk to anyone from the Tennessee area, which is where Dobbs played most of his college football, they're like, oh, Dobbs is great. You know, Dobbs is awesome. What a great athlete. He was a great player. And he was for the volunteers, but he hasn't been in the NFL um, to that same extent. Uh, but on Sunday against Atlanta, I mean, he was just out in the backyard and he was just like one of the best kids in the neighborhood who, who brought his team to a victory, you know, a hundred percent. And I think, uh, that leads me to a potentially wild question. When you think about the wild nature of the game, I figured I'd match that with a wild question. Um, if Jaron Hall exits concussion protocol, who do you start at quarterback? Because... When you look at Dobbs, he obviously had the clutch gene and he brought us to a victory. However, when you look at the stat sheet, Jaron Hall also didn't do that bad. Honestly, I was quite impressed when it came to to the way he was progressing. Now, you might completely disagree with me here. I think his first drive was a little bit more poor than his second one. And obviously, he only played six uh, or he only had six pass attempts before he was out of the game. But he went five for six for 78 yards and was averaging 13 yards per pass attempt. And he also had 11 yards on the ground with two carries uh, when he was mobile. Um, there's a piece of me that wants to see what Jaron Hall will look like uh, yeah. when given proper snap right. counts. I don't know. So here's how I would I'm – I'm going to answer the question, but it's going to be sort of a, a roundabout way to get there. Yeah. Without being in the building and being a part of the prep – and even watching practices, I can't say for sure I know what I would do. But here's yep. how, how I would describe it is, if you're Kevin O'Connell, when Jaron got hurt, separate the fact on a personal level you were upset because a guy who you love and who you coach and who you care mm-hmm. about got hurt. So yep. that, that was concerning, right? So aside yep. from that, what did you feel like when he got hurt and couldn't play anymore? Were you silently relieved because you wanted to play Dobbs anyway? Were you genuinely disappointed because Hall had a great week of practice and you couldn't wait to unwrap the present that you were given on draft day last May? Mm-hmm. You know What was your emotion and feeling? Because I think that would tell you who you should start once Hall is healthy. Does that make sense? Yep, 100%. And honestly, mine was the latter. I was I was disappointed when he went down yeah. because I also think that was so close to being a touchdown. If you tweak two things on that play, he would have gotten the end zone. Um, 
I don't know. I, w- I was disappointed. I was in yeah. love with the way he was progressing, considering that he's a fifth round pick. Yeah. Now call me a homer when it comes to that, but I was really excited to see that. Uh, I was I was yep. pleased by his initial performance. Okay, so then I think that based on what I remember from watching the game, which of course I watched it and saw every snap, but all, all yep. you can really grab onto and remember and think about is Dob is Dobbs. Yep. You of know. Yeah. Um. So I think if you can. Think back to how you felt Hall was playing. And what I remember is feeling like he was pretty sharp and crisp. Mm -hmm. I think I'm leaning more toward when Hall is healthy, I might put him back in. However, I'll be surprised if he's out of concussion protocol for this week. So if things fall the right way for Dobbs and you beat New Orleans... Wouldn't it be hard to to take him out then? Yeah. It would. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I completely agree. I think uh, even from a cultural standpoint in the locker room, benching a quarterback if you get two straight wins, that's a tough call. That's that's yeah. a a pretty difficult signal to send to the team at large. So I completely yeah. agree. Unfortunate for Hall because I think he finally got his shot. Considering we have a great roster, I was really excited to see what someone like that could do with a team like that. Um, yeah. And initial signs were decent, but there's a chance that maybe we'll never see it. Yeah, and. The thing on Dobbs too is, I believe his record as a starter was one and nine going into the game, mm-hmm. and he's been in, on something like four or five rosters in the last fourteen months. You know, so let's not pretend that Dobbs is. When you look at career arc, mm-hmm. Dobbs is not where Jaron Hall is. Dobbs is much more further along in his arc. Mm-hmm. Jaron Hall is just just a baby you know so very very true so we we have to we can't look at them equally Mm -hmm. we can't look at their prospects their future their role on the team equally they are different Mm -hmm. and i don't think i think even if dobbs plays well enough let they make a run to the playoffs or they just missed the playoffs by a game or two i think what you have in dobbs is a really really great option as a backup Mm -hmm. to cousins next year oh uh, absolutely but I still think you keep Hall and develop Hall. Yes, there, yeah. it's it's clear There's that he's not. Both. Yeah, exactly. It, it's clear that he's not a bust yet, right? Oh yeah, no, yeah. not at all. There's there definitely something underneath the, the the surface there that could still be exploited. So, like, I think you know, no disrespect to Nick Mullins and Sean Mannion, but like, right now I'm looking at that Atlanta game being like. This the like Hall and Dobbs are on the roster with Cousins next year, and Mannion and Mullins are not. I yeah. would agree with that. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, especially because Dobbs is on the last year of his contract, and if you want to bring him back, although he'll still be cheap considering what a starting quarterback would be, I don't think you can pay Mullins and Dobbs when it comes to the quarterback room. I think you'd be far more willing to to trade one of them this season, but not this season, but like trade one of them away, like Mullins, because I believe he signed a multi year uh, extension, uh, than it would be to keep both of them on the, yep. on the roster. And so I I would also say to put a bow on for me on this this conversation, mm-hmm. I'd also say we saw one game of Dobbs, so. Mm-hmm. If he comes out, and I, I'm not wishing this to happen, but let's just say he comes out and looks like the old Josh Dobbs against yeah. the Saints, and <laughs> yeah. then and then they decide to play him against Denver on Sunday night in two weeks, and he looks like the old Josh Dobbs again. Yep. 
Now all of a sudden it's kind of like let's pump the brakes on Josh Dobbs a little bit and we'll welcome yeah. Nick Mullins back into the fray and like so mm-hmm. I'm just you know after one game these are my thoughts and feelings that yeah. that's really what we're doing here. Yep, hundred um, percent. But um, it was one of the top storylines in the NFL this past week, and you can't help but you know feel good about it for the Vikings, even if you're a neutral observer of the NFL and of the Vikings, you can't help but you know smile about that story. Um, I thought it was really cool what uh, Kevin O'Connell did in the locker room after the game. Dobbs mm-hmm. was the last one in there, and he said, "Hey, when when he comes in here, let's give it to him." You know, and they had a they had a nice moment in the locker room. I've been a part of those moments, and you know, those are good team and culture building moments. So, um, you know, fun game to watch. I was uh, actually one of those occasions where we were just chilling at home watching NFL. On Sunday, we didn't have any kids' basketball tournaments. We weren't yeah. at the game. Uh, yep. No soccer games. Like we were just hanging at home watching it, and it was a pleasure to watch that that game. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of ups and downs, and where I was, it was the only game on TV. The doubleheader mm-hmm. was in the the three thirty games: Dallas mm-hmm. and Philly, and then Carolina and Indy. I had a doubleheader. That's um, so that that noon time slot. The Vikings were the only game on, so there was no channel flipping for me. It was just I saw every second of every quarter, um, yep. you know, and it was fun to watch. So yeah, hundred percent. Anytime you can do uh, French fries and football on the couch, it's great, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. So um, I want to get into the PFF grades because I know you've got that data, Giles, but I didn't want to leave anything um, undiscussed. Um, and there were a lot of other components to that game outside of O'Connell, Dobbs, and Atlanta embarrassing itself. Uh, anything that we didn't get to or missed that you maybe wrote down or jotted down in your notebook? Beyond the offensive performance uh, and our ability to have a good infrastructure to allow a lesser quarterback than Kirk Cousins to thrive. I mean, ultimately, yeah. we scored more points than any other game this season, right? Isn't so that crazy? clearly something went right. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, and we were without our three top players. When you think of Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, and Christian Derrissaw, I'm very, very excited about how our system produces great results. I think it's important to note our defense. Now, we'll get into PFF grades here in a second, but through nine games, we now have the seventh fewest yards per play allowed on defense. Nice. Nice. What That's a transition for where we That's were impressive. last year. Absolutely. Yep. That is yep. a formula that can go win a championship. If you can have a, uh, a top 10 defense from that standpoint and then go put a heck of a lot of points on the board, you can win with that. I mean, yep. I truly do. So I'm really excited to see if we can continue this on against the Saints because uh, Saints also have a tremendous defense. So it'll be a really good, uh, good time on Sunday. Yep. Yep, they do. Um, this is the type of, of market improvement that we talked about, Giles, in the offseason when we said – you know, can the Vikings be a top 10 defense? We believe they can. Here's what they need to do to get there. Uh, you were very excited about the Brian Flores hire. You know, from the moment it became a possibility and was speculated on, you were for that. I oscillated among other options and saw the good and different alternatives. Um, however, I thought there was some appealing parts of Flores as well, but you were all aboard on the Flores train. And those people like yourself and many others are are being vindicated and proven right right now um, because from a, a tactical standpoint, a strategic standpoint, a culture standpoint, a style of play that fans like standpoint, it it's all all as well. Um, yep. It's not perfect, but all is no. well defensively for the Vikings. Relatively speaking, compared to last year, all is well, but just in a vacuum this year, it's well. To your point, they're not... A signif- they're not just significantly better than they were last year. Relative to the rest of the league, they're seventh 
as you just pointed out in um, yards per play. Was that the metric mm-hmm. you gave? Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I mean, play allowed. Yep. R- relative to the league, it's very good. Um, yep. So really nice hire by the Vikings. Yep, 100%. And you're seeing him take old players and new players alike and totally maximize them. Cam Bynum had a pretty bad down year last year to the point where I was advocating for him to get benched for Josh Metellus on the other side of Harrison Smith. And this year, Cam Bynum is a top five safety. Hands down, full stop. Uh, Ivan Pace Jr. is a top 20. He was undrafted. He's a top 20 middle linebacker in the NFL right now. Uh, Makai Blackman, he's a top 20-ish quarterback. And he was a guy that were like, oh, I mean, I was relatively high on him but i think the the nfl at large and a lot of the media were not super high on him considering his draft status and he's done very well he's brought daniel hunter back to true form uh we've gotten hicks back into a top 15 status for a middle linebacker who is historically kind of average good in run defense but average linebacker he is now elite in a lot of categories he's been able to squeeze every bit of juice out of these players yep yeah what you're seeing with the vikings defense is a coordinator in Brian Flores who came in here with a style of play that was his that he had to sell to his players. He had to ask for trust and buy-in. Mm-hmm. There was an element of faith to it. Faith is belief without proof. And it's being proven on the field and the buy-in is continuing. And I can tell by the sideline interactions and by the reactions that Flores is a leader. People are getting in line behind him and they believe in him. And, mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's, it's got the look and feel of people around the league, players around the league being like, I'd like to play for him. Mm-hmm. I'd like to yep. play for him. Ooh, yep. I'd like to play for him. And you know, I wonder if O'Connell and others in the organization are – discussing like what can we do right now to see if we can get floors back next year right now like Mm -hmm. can we offer him something right now like hey we're not even going to wait until you get offers to be the head coach let's increase your pay let's increase this let's whatever right now yep uh so we don't so we don't even have to entertain this next off season um Mm -hmm. i think that dallas has gone through that very similar situation with dan quinn and it's mm-hmm. paid off for them because look how good Dallas's defense has been for a number of years now. And I think the mm-hmm. Vikings are in a position to do that with Brian Flores. And for their sake, I hope the Vikings are able to accomplish that and keep Flores around. I also think that Flores is maybe in a position where he's willing to wait in a, a Vikings wing, so to speak, until after his lawsuit with the Miami Dolphins is complete. Um, I think uh, across the NFL, I think that hopefully will play in our favor. Um, you know, I'll wish all the, the respect to that scenario, obviously. But like when you think yeah. about him being on Minnesota Vikings, that has to play a factor in things. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I'm hoping for at least another year or two, because that'd be uh, an absolute phenomenal piece to be able to continue that and keep yeah. that continuity going. I mean, I mean, in that case, extend everybody. I mean, I mean, Flores is able to implement his scheme, tactics, strategy, uh, charisma, his swag mm-hmm. with the players he was given, plus maybe one or two that he got to add himself. Imagine what he can do if he can replace a few others he wants to replace with guys he really wants to replace them with, right? Yep. I mean, you, it yep. stands to reason that it will be even better and more advanced uh, next season. Yep. So uh, I think yep. that would be in the Vikings' interest to do that. Yep, um, last last thing here before we move on to the, a quick preview of the New Orleans Saints uh, and the Vikings' upcoming contest on Sunday uh, is the PFF grades. So yes. um, I'm very curious on a, on a few different individual um, 
uh, standpoints to see what the grades are here. So I'll, I'll yeah. let's go offense first, okay? Let's do um, it. I'm really only sure or confident in guessing four. Four. I don't know. We do five, but I'll give you my the four that I jotted down. All right. Hawkinson. Okay. Madison. Yep. Powell. And I, I wrote Dobbs down. I, I don't know how PFF would have graded this because I know there was lost fumbles and there were probably missed reads, right? And so that's going to work against Dobbs. But there was also some playmaking and there were some guts. And so I'm putting Dobbs in there. I'm guessing Dobbs is top five. Hawkinson, Powell, Madison, and Dobbs are four who I think were in the top five. 100%. Uh, you're spot on with number five, Alexander Madison, coming in at a 68.4 grade. Uh, yep. Was elite uh, in that passing game. He got a bunch of yards receiving. Uh, did great in pass blocking, great uh, in, in the run game. I would say decent in the run game. Uh, exactly what we want uh, out of Alexander Madison, especially considering that Cam Akers went down good with Good timing for him, right? Yep, yep. 100%. Okay, so yep. Good job Which is also Madison. unfortunate uh, for the number four yeah. is Cam Akers. He came in at oh, he a, did. Okay. Uh, a 68.5 grade. Uh, did great in every category. Pass blocking, he was elite. Uh, so really, really unfortunate loss there. Yeah. Um, I think uh, when you consider this in a vacuum, I'm really excited that the Vikings have a mobile option at quarterback to be able to make up for some of these deficiencies when it comes to the run game now. Mm -hmm. Although that's not a slight at Alexander Madison, but Cam Akers was a huge addition into that room, so that's a big yeah. blow. Okay. Um, but moving on to the number three position is TJ Hawkinson, like you mentioned, yeah, at a 74.0 yeah. grade. Um, was the TJ Hawkinson of old exactly what we want? Um, in, uh, in the number two position is the best tight end number three in the entire NFL, Johnny Munt. Oh, uh, really? 80 grade. Yep. Uh, did phenomenal mm -hmm. in receiving. Uh, was decent at run blocking, but uh, was the second highest graded player on Sunday. Nice. And then the number one graded player on the field offensively for the Minnesota Vikings was Joshua Dobbs. At really? At 82.5 grade. He had a 92 grade in the run game. Uh, did did absolutely phenomenally when it came to, to how he graded out. Now, the interesting part here is that our offensive line had a horrible day. Yeah. Horrible day. I didn't, well, Dobbs um, was running like crazy, man. Yeah, 100%. When you look yeah. at the bottom four or the bottom five, uh, three of our starting offensive linemen were in the bottom five uh, graded-wise. Brian O'Neill and Garrett Bradbury uh, both had uh, grades in the 40s. So absolutely train wreck. Now, uh, when you think about some of the, the D linemen on the Falcons, like there are no pushovers, uh, but uh, we had a, a pretty bad day. Now, I think that's partially because we're, we're adjusting our scheme to accommodate a mobile quarterback. So, like, I yeah. think there's going to be some growing pains in that. Um, but there was a little bit of a rough day. Um, David Quesenberry actually was the highest-graded offensive lineman. Oh, fill in left tackle. Grade. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. exactly. So I'm really excited to get Christian Derisaw back, though. Um, that'll be a big addition because David did great. I mean, he had an 86 grade in the pass game, but he had a 44 grade in the run game. So I think uh, it's important to get Derisaw back when we go to get, right. uh, against the Saints. So I was wrong on Powell. Where, where uh, Powell was about middle of the road. Uh, okay. he, had a, he had a 60.7 grade. So it wasn't great. It wasn't train wreck, but, uh, but uh, did pretty decent. I thought he showed up in some key moments, uh, including the, clutch. the game when he touched down, right? Correct. Yep. So 100%. Yeah. All right. Um, let's go to defense. I was secondary heavy uh, in my guesses for top five. Hunter, mm -hmm. Bynum, Blackman, and Murphy. I wrote down those four. Uh, as guesses for being in the top five. You have a very keen eye. Coming in at number five is a Caleb Evans at a 66.0 oh, okay. grade. He was phenomenal in the run game and was 
pretty decent across the other categories, but his run defense was really where he made some hay on Sunday. Um, and coming in at number four is our boy Makai Blackman, coming in at yep. a 66.5 grade. Uh, did, did great across the board. Uh, he's becoming low-key one of the best quarterbacks in the league, in my opinion. I'm excited to see what his second year will look like because he yep. has a bright future. In my he opinion. looks sharp. I'm not surprised. I had him written down. Yep. Yep, 100%. And coming in at number three is Daniil Hunter, uh, coming yeah. in at a 69.5 grade. Uh, did great across the board. Um, didn't have any sacks this game, but still uh, did very, very well. Uh, number two is our boy Cam Bynum at a 75.8 grade. Uh, was phenomenal in coverage. Uh, he struggled a little bit in the run, but uh, his coverage is where he really made his hay. Uh, and then coming in at number one was Byron Murphy, Murphy Jr. Yeah. at an 81.2 grade. Obviously, his pick was quite phenomenal. He had an yep. 89.2 grade in coverage. So uh, exciting to see him step up against the Falcons. I am seeing in Byron Murphy, I am seeing someone who every week, you, you might say this about Blackman, Mm-hmm. But I'm seeing Murphy look better all the time. Yep. Like, I'm guessing that Brian Flores... Now, I could be dead wrong on this, and Brian Flores didn't want Murphy and wanted someone else instead, but so-and-so liked Murphy, so they got him. That could be the case. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that Flores like had Murphy singled out and was like, I mm-hmm. want him. Yeah. You know, I like him. Um mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but uh, Murphy seems like a great scheme fit to me. Is playing better all the time. Now that interception was not the most playmaker-ish interception of all time. Heineke, it was a bad throw, but Murphy was where he was supposed to be. Um, and I see a guy with swag and confidence and good for a young second, an otherwise fairly young secondary. It's Murphy and Harrison Smith, and the rest, you know, are on the beginning Newbies. stages of their career arcs. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Which really, once again, speaks to, to Brian Flores's teaching ability. We've, we've yeah. talked a lot about it, but his teaching ability and ability to translate concepts and get them to understand it and apply it and actually achieve success with it is second to none. Yep. Agreed. Considering I believe that we have the youngest, youngest roster in the NFL. Uh, we've been doing some really good things. Yep. All righty. Let's put that Falcons win to bed. Are you ready for that? Talk Let's about do it. Move on to All New Orleans. Right. New Orleans Saints. That's the Vikings opponent on Sunday. The game is at noon at U.S. Bank Stadium. New Orleans Saints come to town, coming off a victory over the Chicago Bears. They defeated the Bears 24-17. to I do believe that game was in New Orleans. Um, the Saints are tops in the NFC South at 5-4. and four. They've now won two straight after a rough patch in the um, middle of their uh, first half of the season. Uh, they're actually 3-2 and two on the road. Uh, the Vikings are one and three or one and four at home. Uh, the Saints have a winning record on the road, so um, something's got to give there. Yep. Saints on offense, thirteenth in yards, Giles, um, right in the middle of the pack. Uh, mm-hmm. Points at twenty-one point seven points per game. Defensively, as you mentioned earlier in the show, Saints very good. Um, seventh in yards, seventh in points allowed per game at nineteen point zero. Turnover margin, the Saints are plus eight, so they're doing a good mm-hmm. job, especially lately of protecting the ball but also taking it away on defense they are tied for third in the nfl and turnover margin at plus eight so for a vikings team that has struggled at times with turnovers uh that's going to be an important component of this matchup um mm-hmm. if you dig down a little bit further on offense guys they do a little bit more damage in the air uh, than they mm-hmm. do on the ground now camara is back uh Taysom hill has been uh, a little more successful in the ground game in the last couple of weeks uh but this is a team that's trying to throw the ball pete carmichael is still the offensive coordinator for the saints and he was sean payton's right hand man when payton and breeze were running the show in new orleans so um you've got chris Olave on the outside you've got michael thomas who can line up anywhere 
there, Taysom Hill. Um, they have a big physical pass-catching tight end in uh, Johnson. Uh, they have Alvin Kamara, of course. Um, they have Jamal Williams, who can be a bit of a bruiser between the tackles. So um, this is an offense with some names and, of course, Derek Carr at quarterback. So um, I'm, you know, I think Derek Carr seems to be a great guy. I don't think he's anything special uh, as a player. However, if he's insulated and in a good environment, I mean, he can throw the ball around. Um, so, yes. and he's got weapons. So, um, I see a very good matchup here. The Saints have been installed as two and a half point favorites. Uh, I believe the over under is um, in the mid or lower forties, forty one, forty two, something like that. So, um, you know, from a game flow standpoint, Giles, talk about this game, or maybe more from a matchup standpoint, you have a, a bigger opinion there. Um, but what do you see when you look at Viking Saints? Um, I think this is going to be a struggle up front for us and when it comes yeah. to our defensive tackles because when you look at McCoy, their center, he's one of the best centers in the league right now. And I think yep. uh, our ability to get pressure up the middle is going to be rather difficult. Uh, so I think that's going to be an interesting thing when it comes to the ground game because they're they're quite stout. Obviously, they have Ryan Ramchek uh, over at right tackle. Uh, and then when you uh, mix in their their elite tight ends, if you uh, consider um, you know both those guys to be tight ends, I think that's going to be a struggle there on the edge. So I do think their run game might get a little bit better here, uh, but we'll see. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of different options here. I do think uh, Chris Olave is overrated. I really yeah. do. I think a lot of people are really high on him. And I think uh, he's a player that has a lot of, lot of raw, uh, authentic uh, skill and talent. But I think the Vikings defense could exploit it. Um, so I really think there's some interesting elements there. Uh, and then uh, when I think about, you know, the, the way that their interior looks, I think our ground game might be able to have a chance to be uh, decent. So there's a chance that this could be a, a pounded game. Um, uh, us trying to reestablish our run game. I think there might be a lot of mobility, uh, quarterback rush yards uh, that are achieved here. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think that the Vikings right now are rolling. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought about Giles um, when I was sort of mentally reacting, like to myself reacting to the win on mm -hmm. Sunday. I thought back to our conversation in the previous week's Wobcast where mm -hmm. <clears throat> we talked about what you see on Sunday is a symphony of so many individual compartmentalized efforts that the football team strings together throughout the week. And if you go into an offensive line meeting room on a Thursday in an NFL facility, they are never talking about who their quarterback is. Like they don't – you could sit in that room and listen to them game plan and talk about practice and – come up with what they can do as a group to help the Vikings win on Sunday. They are not talking about Kirk Cousins, Achilles is torn and yeah. we're starting Jaron Hall and we just traded for Joe. They don't talk about that. The linebackers don't talk about that. The defensive linemen don't talk about that. So you are really insulated from feeling down and feeling downtrodden and sullied by bad news like your quarterback being out for the year you're insulated from that during the week because mm -hmm. everything is so compartmentalized except for a 90 minute or 120 minute stretch wednesday thursday and friday where you're practicing you wouldn't even know that so mm -hmm. now the vikings each player can step away for a moment mentally or that when they leave the facility on a Friday and they've got Saturday off because it's a home game, they can sort of reflect on the fact that they don't have cousins anymore and what a bummer that is. But outside of those brief moments, it's, you don't, 
you're just thinking about what you can do to help the team win. So mm -hmm. the Vikings right now are a team that, despite having lost Kirk Cousins, they kind of think that they're invincible right now. That's fair. I mean, you know? in a lot of ways, their strength uh, resembles that. Yeah, I mean, so I think all of that is really working against the Saints. Now, if coming into town this week was the Chiefs or the Eagles or the Steelers or the Ravens, teams that have been to the mountaintop, that know what it takes to get to the mountaintop, that are physical, tough, have been through adversity on their own, have weathered the storm to come out on the other side, then I would be like, this is a rough spot for the Vikings here. But that is not what the Saints are with all due respect to them. I mean, mm -hmm. this is not Drew Brees and Sean Payton, you know, and nope. uh, Greg Williams. You know, this is... No disrespect, but this is Dennis Allen and Derek Carr, and th this is not the same group. Now, Cameron Jordan, he's done it, but he's one guy, okay? Um, Demario Davis, he's done it, but he's one guy. So I I don't think this is a game where the Vikings necessarily are going to trip up. I think that they can win this game. Now, I I honestly would t would be on the other side of that. If, the, if this, you know, the Vikings play the Lions in December, if the Lions were coming to town this week, I'd be like, that was a good four-game run. Lions are going to come in here and probably beat you. Mm -hmm. But I think the Vikings are going to be in it to win it here at the end of this game. And I think you are dead on about the game flow. I think this is a ground-and-pound defensive struggle. Points are almost at a premium type of game. This is not a an indoor game with a bunch of speedy receivers and the ball's flying all over the place. That is not what this yeah. game is. This is a physical, old, black and blue NFC North division type of game with the Saints. Yep. Uh, I expect, uh, to even to get into my prediction, I expect maybe a 17 to 24 victory, and that might even be a little bit high on in terms of the, the point totals. Uh, but I do expect the Vikings to be victorious against the Saints here. Um, I think we outwit them in every category when it comes to coaching and the men we're putting on the field. Even though we are with a backup quarterback, I really expect us to take a victory yep. here. And this is, I'll get into my prediction too. It is so cliched, predictable, and tired to talk about turnovers as the factor in the game. But I think it bears mentioning here because of of the Josh Dobbs factor where mm -hmm. he's new. He's got so much to think about, to understand, to conceptualize, to execute on that it would be very easy to forget to work on the center quarterback exchange in mm -hmm. practice this week, right? Um, mm -hmm. It to work on, you know, um, handoffs with your running backs. But yep. these are the things that will derail the Vikings on, on Sunday against the Saints if they don't take care of those things. So don't put the cart before the horse. I know he's got a lot of things to, to you know, to learn and to try and execute on. But if he can be, if Josh Dobbs can be buttoned up on those fundamentals and not give the game away there, I think they have a really good chance to win this game and, it would be five wins in a row, and um, you know uh, what a fun story, man. I mean, what, my goodness, you know the way this season started. Who would have thunk it? And you mentioned it earlier. That was the highest point output for the Vikings all season. Yep. You know, their the first game without Cousins is their highest point output. I mean, it's crazy how the NFL works, man. I do think that there's a lot riding on this game. If the Vikings come out <clears throat> and mimic what they did against the Falcons. 
I think this is maybe a repeatable formula for us to go for the rest of the season. If we come out and get our, our uh, ourselves punched in the face and we go down like a sack of potatoes and we can't get up, I think then maybe this was a one-game wonder kind of element. But if they can really come out and repeat that, I think there's a chance that they've been able to figure out what this will take to go the distance. I mean, Giles, th- they play the Broncos and the Bears and the Raiders after this. <laughs> Honestly, the only one that I'm even remotely scared about is the Raiders, just because I feel like they'll have a little extra juice in them after they've cleared house there. But other than that, like, you're right. I mean, we have a decent stretch in front of us to put some W's on the board. Well, yeah, and they've already done four in a row. They've already got four. After a 3-0 start, who would have thunk? After an 0-3 start. Yeah. 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 Or, yeah, yeah. uh, So now I'm, I'm clicking around here. Let's look at Detroit. They're at the Chargers this week, man. Not a gimme game. Not at all. I mean, I don't even <laughs> know if they'd be favored in that game. Would they be? Well, we're going to look. You think th- Who do you think's favored? I got it right here. I want to say the Chargers, but my gut says the Lions. Only they just because they, yeah, they're a good team this year. Don't get me wrong. I, I do think the, uh, the chance of the Chargers winning the game is pretty high, but I think the Lions, they have one of the best rosters in the NFL, and they're really riding the magic carpet ride this year. They are. They're six and two, and I'm not yeah. suggesting the Vikings are about to catch the Lions, but that's a fifty. That that is truly a coin flip game. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Vikings Chargers are just have a better quarterback. Yeah, yeah. The Vikings aren't going to be in coin. They're in coin flip games every week now. I mean, they are no sure win over anyone. The Vikings yeah. are not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With their quarterback situation and all that, but um, it. I mean. The Vikings are five and four. The, I mean, the Lions have one more win than the Vikings. <clears throat> if you look at, let's just look at it that way. Yep. <laughs> but, but, I mean, if I told you the Vikings are going to start zero three and they're not going to have Cousins for most of the season, you would write them off. I think I would. Yeah. Yeah. Just being real. Most people would. Well, they're in the win column. They're one game behind the Lions, guys. So I mean. It's crazy how this league You're works. You're telling me there's a chance. Uh, there is absolutely a chance. And I'm not trying to be prisoner of the moment guy. I, and I don't even think I am. I mean, they've won four straight. I don't yep. care who you are. You win four yep. straight, you, something's going right. You're doing some things the right way if you win four straight games in the National Football League. That's what the Vikings have done. And it is very realistic that they win five straight. And I am predicting that they will win their fifth straight game. Um, I mentioned that the over-under was somewhere in the low 40s, and I'm looking at it right now. It's 41.5. My prediction is even underneath that. I I think it's 20 to 19 Vikings. Um, Okay, that's fair. So I see them winning this game. Nothing about the Saints scares me aside from, and this is an important part of the game, aside from what happens at the line of scrimmage. So obviously that's a very important part of this. The Saints are better on paper, up front, on the O-line and D-line. Um, so that that is why they are, they're favored. They should be favored. I think if you played this game 100 times, the Saints would win more of them than the Vikings. But you're playing this game one time. And yep. the Vikings right now have a good thing going, and I think they're going to win this game at home. Look, they're 1-3 at home. I mean, it's just hard to imagine them being 1-4 and four at home. I don't care who their quarterback is. It's just... Yep. Not them. So I see him winning this game 20, 20 to 19, and I see him getting to six and four. And this whole like 
being tenuous about their chances feeling will continue, I think, after this week. And they're going to go to Denver for Sunday night football. I believe they're going to be a 6-4 and four football team. After our victory against the Falcons, uh, Arthur Smith shaved off his his uh, mustache. Did he? I didn't yeah, see he that. Did. He did. Uh, so hopefully we can uh, punch the Saints in a similar fashion where they feel a little bit uh, downtrodden. So yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll see where we can go from here. All right. Well, it'll be fun to watch either way. Um, I will be out of uh, out of town slash the country on a little vacay. So I'll, I will be watching this game, but it will be uh, in a, very remotely. Uh, what are your plans for the game, Giles? Are you going to be there? Uh, French fries and uh, and football on the couch with the boys. At home. So I good for you. you know, at home. Yeah, right. it'll be a good, good. time. Well, um, yours truly will be out, so not sure when we will come to you next with another episode of the Wobcast. But Giles and I will find a time to react to the game on Sunday against the Saints and to preview the upcoming game against the Broncos. One way or the other, we'll find a way to get that done next week. Uh, anything else in your notebook, Giles, before we call it a day? Um, honestly, I think, uh, the only thing that I'm concerned about is the lines for the rest of the season. Um, other than that, I, I think, uh, we have a good, de- a, good a good chance to really go, uh, uh, chase a championship here, but the lions are my biggest concern. Are you saying from a make the playoff standpoint or from an NFC standpoint? To be honest, both. Um, the more and more I'm thinking about it, I get concerned about them. I think, uh, like I was talking to a, a Lions fan uh, this past weekend, and he was projecting that they would go to the NFC Championship game. Yeah. Um, and I'm getting more and more people that are talking about them going the distance. So I think, uh, I mean, probably more in the NFC, but I don't know. I think it's definitely something to keep in mind. Yeah, I would put the Eagles up there too. Like, I think the Eagles are a problem. They're mm-hmm. free. Uh, I mean... I think I saw that the Eagles have won 25 of their last 27 games in which Jalen Hurts was the starter. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's so I think they're cream of the crop in the NFC. Um, I think the Lions are one notch below that. Um, I truly, in my heart of hearts, don't think the Vikings will run down the Lions for the division. So I think you're right, Giles, that, that I'm, I would – qualify myself as worried about the Lions for sure. Mm-hmm. But outside of Dallas when they play at home, mm-hmm. nothing is scaring me from a wild card standpoint off the opinion that the Vikings can make a run and be a wild card. Um, because remember now, there are seven teams that make the playoffs in each yep. conference. There are yep. the four division winners and three wild cards. There used to be just two, but now there are three. I think the yep. Cowboys will be one of those. So there will be two other wild card positions. No one in the South scares me. The Vikings just beat one of the teams that they're competing with for the wild card in the Falcons. Yep. Panthers might make it. No, nah, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> um, you've got some teams out west. Yeah. Seattle uh, is five and three. Uh, San Francisco five and three. But the Vikings are in the thick of it here in the NFC, Giles, and um, yep. they 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 beat the Saints here, and they're even even further in the thick of it um, with three winnable games coming up even after that. So uh, yep. very excited uh, to see how this unfolds. They've got the Packers sandwiched. Bet- I get it. They play the Lions twice in the final three weeks but the Packers are sandwiched in between there so if the Vikings need a win late in the season they've got a nice cushy home game against yep. the uber soft Green Bay Packers uh, mm-hmm. that they can sort of lean on to so I don't know man 
It's it's going to get more interesting. It's going to get yeah. more interesting before it gets dull. That is for sure. Uh, yep. If you're a Vikings fan, so. All right, everyone. That's going to do it for this episode of the Wobcast 2.0. Enjoy the game on Sunday as the Vikings host the New Orleans Saints, try and win their fifth game in a row, and get up to six and four in the win-loss column. We hope you like, subscribe, and follow the Wobcast 2.0. You can do that wherever you find all your other favorite football content, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, on YouTube. On behalf of my co-host and the producer, Giles, this is Wobby signing off for now. Until next time, Skull Vikings.